you can't hit three without hitting two effectively. Uh, I don't think we're going to make a telefight three because that wouldn't make any sense from a wide variety of angles. Um, I mean, telefight two made dozens of dollars. Just dozens. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 369 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I don't like scammers. I'm Sam and I'm super blurry. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's June 24th, 2020 U. And before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show. Uh, also, yeah. we would like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We've got a donation from Ronald Hornbeck, who says, Here's my pre-order for Crashlands 2. I need it now. <laughs> um, what do you guys think? Should we, send him a, should we send him a copy? Or, yeah, let's just send him I a mean, copy. I mean, pre-ordered it. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I guess he pre-ordered it. So, like, yeah, ooh, isn't what we can't send do, it to him. Yep. Isn't what we do that if we get pre-orders, then we can just make the game really terrible, right? Isn't that the isn't that how it usually works? In the oh, industry? right. Yeah, we forgot to open those up. I think um, even better is we we have you pre-order a spot in line, like Tesla style, you know, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you put down a little bit of money right now, right? And then mm-hmm. and then we sell the game to you for $60,000. But you do get that, yeah. like, that 20 bucks that you just gave us back. You know, now, I know right. I know we said that we weren't going to put NFTs in our games, and we're holding to that. The thing is, though, Crashlands 2 is an NFT, mm-hmm. so technically mm-hmm. there's no NFTs in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. one of the problems with this now is, like, if we send it to Ronald Hornbeck, mm-hmm. then now we don't have it anymore. Yeah. Uh, because that's how NFTs work, totally. right? Totally. Um, yeah. So we won't be able to finish developing it if we send it over. So we've got to we got to get that wrapped up first. Yeah, yep. so you can't um, have it now. I guess is the short the short answer to that demand. You know, you can't. Yeah. yeah. Also, have you'll have to you'll have to wait your turn. You know, yeah. to play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it, it will be in turns, one person at a time. <laughs> yep. And also not later because you know we don't have a way to distribute games through the Ko-Fi donation system. So uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, yep. they'll just yep. have to. Buy it to pre-order it again when we put out official pre-orders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we'll go ahead and just buy ourselves a coffee with that donation. Yeah, we'll yeah, just do that. Good. That sounds pretty good. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters as well. Thank you very much for your monthly donations. Uh, now, we're going to do questions today. But first, I have a little story. Spin us on. I went on an adventure last week, um, and it was just the best. Uh so to set the stage, many weeks ago, many, many weeks ago, I got a, an email from uh, my dermatologist who was like, hey, buddy, you coming into your appointment tomorrow? And I was like, what? I, I didn't set up an appointment. I checked my calendar. I don't have anything down, right? So I called them and I was like, what is this? And uh, they're like, oh, well, you know, it's just an, an annual checkup kind of thing, right? Um, and so we just like, we just put you in the, in the system for a year since your last visit. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh shit. Well, like this, this day doesn't really work for me. Uh, let's, let's postpone it. Okay. So I just, I just punted it a few weeks. That's good. No problem. Keep your, keep your wits about you. Get it under your control. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Got it on my calendar. I'm like, cool. I got this. This is under control now. So the day arrives and it turns out it's a very busy day. There's a lot of things happening in the studio. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, like collaborations and pairing happening. And I'm looking at this dermatology appointment and I'm like, Oh man, like this is really going to kind of put a cramp in my, in my day. Um, and it's at the end of the day too. So I'm kind of like, I know it's coming and I've got that sort of ADHD paralysis thing creeping in where I'm just like, Oh, like I don't want to get too deep into something. Cause I know I got to drop it and go. Right. But uh, so I'm talking to Sam. I'm like, I don't know. Should I just not go to this? Like, I don't, I don't have anything that I am worried about for my checkup. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, no, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm going to be a responsible yep. adult and go get my checkup. Don't let those moles get out of control. You know? Yeah. So I'm kind of stressing about this thing. I, and then I, I look at the, at the map and I'm like, oh shit, I forgot. Like this dermatologist's office, it's like a 20 minute drive away. I don't know why, but it's, it's a, it's a ways out there. Um, and it's a hundred degrees that that day, so it's just fucking hot. And I'm like, oh man, now I really don't want to go, but I'm gonna do it. So finally, on the way out the door, the one last thing is I look at my water bottle and I'm like, 
do I bring my do I bring my water bottle? Should I bring my water? Like, what? Why would I bring it? Who who cares? Just yeah. I was like, whatever. I'll just bring it. I mean, meh. So bring my water bottle. Driving to the dermatologist. Long drive. Going down the highway. So forty five miles an hour. Somebody just pulls out right in front of me. I almost t bone them. I slam my brakes and I have to swerve. And fortunately, I had an opening to the side and I was able to you know I was able to swerve without causing an accident. Um, but they, they pulled out into the highway sideways and just stopped. Whoa. They just parked there. <laughs> and then they looked at me and started waving their arms around. And I'm like, I have a green light. You have a red light. What is happening? <laughs> so, so, and, and me, I'm like, oh no, this trip is cursed. Yep. You know, you had science uh, earlier in the day, you know? Yeah. So I go to the, I go to the appointment. I'm waiting there. <laughs> Dermatologist comes in, does checkup. It's like, it's like five minutes tops. Everything's fine. So I'm like, okay, so, you know, that was pointless. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been pointless if they found something, to yeah, be fair. Yeah. Uh, and that would have made it a lot worse. So this yeah. is the best it case was the scenario. Best outcome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so then toward the end of this little, like, brief exchange with my doctor, uh, doc, uh, the doctor's like, well, you know, uh, we'll just schedule for next year. And, you know, as always, just like, use sunscreen, take care of your skin, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, honestly... You will never catch me out in the sun for any reason. There's just no reason for me to be out in the sun, you know? That's the worst. And we're like, so we're both like, ha, ha, ha. So then we, <laughs> so then I jump in my car uh, and and I start driving back, driving, 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 because it's, it's 20 damn minutes to get back. Mm-hmm. And I get, I get, I'm still on the highway, but I'm about to turn off of the highway. I'm at a stop, I'm at a stoplight and I'm like a minute and a half from home. Okay. I, I'm waiting at the red light and and suddenly I like when the light turns green, I push the gas, nothing happens. Like, what the mm. fuck? Look at my RPMs. My RPMs are zero. Every light is on. The battery light, the oil light, the check engine light. Just and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh because I've been I've been rigorously maintaining this car and it's just fucking dead. Okay. So I'm like, no problem. Maybe a weird thing. Turn the keys. Nothing like the engine kind of goes like the engine's like, and then it's like, and it just, it just stops. So I try it a few more times and I'm sitting there and I'm like starting to get into panic mode because I'm on a highway. Um, uh, and it's, it's one of the, it's like, this is Lindbergh in St. Louis, which is, it's a highway that, that, uh, covers a really long stretch and it's two lanes. Uh, but it has random stretches of totally open road and then stretches of lots of stoplights. Yeah. So this highway has a speed limit of 40, but everybody goes 60 on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a danger zone. So I'm just now parked on this highway. Mm. Um, and then I realize I can't run my AC, uh, with mm. the engine dead. I, I call AAA and I'm have I'm 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 arranging for like a tow truck and other shit. I'm like I gotta get the fuck out of here. And I'm the way that my car died. I'm sitting in the driver's seat and the sun is just baking me through the window. <laughs> it's a hundred degrees. I've got no fucking air conditioning and I'm looking at my water bottle like oh. Thank God. <laughs> the universe was like so I heard I, your joke, Seth. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there for. I think it was, about, it was like 17 minutes or something, just kind of roasting like a like a Thanksgiving turkey, uh, just guzzling water and uh, wildly gesturing at traffic behind me to try to get them to go through. But St. Louis drivers are, well, they're 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 people, yeah. so they they suck at driving. They're the same as drivers uh, everywhere else. They're the same as drivers everywhere, which is half. You know, the, the median driver is fine, but half of the drivers are worse than that. You know. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that kept happening is I was I was parked there with my hazards on, but I'm I'm at an intersection, right? And I'm in a left turn lane and people would pull up behind me, oftentimes in a huge fucking truck or, you know, some kind of giant vehicle, and they would not be looking at my car at all. They would just they would just pull up behind me and then they would pull up so close that they were now obstructing their own view of my hazards. <laughs> Which were which had been on the whole time, right. so they would so, so they'd be unable to see, What's and that? then they would just then they would just start flipping me off and screaming shit and like yelling out the window, you know. And I was and I just kept like I had my arm out the window and I was just trying to like wave wave people on, 
because uh, one of the things you're, you know, you're not supposed to do in these situations is like exit your vehicle and just be like standing in the road, right? So I'm, I'm sitting in the car as opposed to like being out trying to direct traffic. But it, so yeah, it's just like 17 minutes of just absolutely drenched in sweat, dead car, guzzling water, baking in the sun and trying to direct assholes <laughs> to drive around. <laughs> uh, and then I got home and and uh, just took a nap, you know? Yeah, I think but like, the only response oftentimes to things like this is to sort of like, you got to do a shut it down and restart. Yeah. And reboot. So then, yeah. So then the best thing that happened beyond this, so the next morning I'm like, man, what do I do about my dead car? What, what do I do? Well, I got to figure out what to do. So I go out there and just to see, I put the keys in and turn it. It starts just fine. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> So, so then I'm like, I don't, I mean, I don't trust this thing. I'm not going to drive it anywhere. You know, I call a towing company, have them take it to the auto repair shop, auto repair shop calls back after a while. And they're like, well, I mean, we drove it around for a half hour and like, it's fine. Like we, we can't diagnose anything wrong with it. We've done a full inspection. Nothing's wrong with it. I'm like, okay, what do we do then? And they're like, well, it might be these couple of parts, but we don't know because we can't replicate the problem. And I was like, just replace them. If it might be those things, replace them. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we can do that. Just know that, like, we don't know if this will fix the problem. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's fine. So they do the thing and they call me back and they're like, hey, just let you know, like, we replaced those parts. We we drove it around for another 20 minutes just to be safe. Everything seems fine. And I'm like, great. I go to the auto repair shop, pick up the car. Uh, I drive it home. I pull it in the garage and the engine dies. <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, uh, well, at least I made it home, you know, this time. But now I'm thinking, I wonder if there's some kind of a, there's probably a curse. There's probably some kind of a curse radius around my house area, you know, where like the closer I get to home, the more likely it is that my engine dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, I'm getting rid of that thing. But uh, man, what, you know, these are the kinds of things that working from home um, it's really cut down on my adventure quota, I feel, because I'm just yeah, not out driving too many <laughs> adventures, you know? <laughs> oh, but anyways. Damn, man, damn. That's my little dermatology adventure. Long story short, don't go to the doctor, you know? That's that's the lesson that I took away from yeah. it. Yeah. So. I mean, do, though, because, you know, that way you might not die. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, also you, still you, well eventually. But. Yeah, if you almost get killed on the way there and on the way back, though— yeah, then that's, you're, that's you're at sort of a net negative for that doctor. Like, what's the irony of of accidentally getting 20 minutes of extremely intense sun exposure because you went to a dermatology <laughs> checkup? <laughs> like, I went on that trip purely for my skin health, and boy, did that fucking backfire. It was the most intensive problem of <laughs> yeah. your skin the entire year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's get on to some questions. Yeah, let's go. Uh, all right. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you want to get your question onto a future episode, go there and and ask it. The highest upvoted question comes from Billy Dreamshake. Oh, nice. Talk to me, Billy. Dang. Which, man, I hope Billy runs like an ice cream shop or something, you know, because the Dreamshake sounds like something I want to enjoy myself. You me know. Too. Uh, Billy says, howdy, I've been thinking about the incessant hype for Hollow Knight Silk Song and how Team Cherry is managing it. I feel like they would want to talk about the development like y'all do with Crashlands 2. However, Team Cherry stated that they're waiting to talk about that sort of thing until the game is released. Mm-hmm. How might a studio cope with those kinds of expectations? And why might a studio announce a game and go silent for this long? P.S. I have no expectations of any studio to make any game in any length of time. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good, good <laughs> copy. Yeah, I think, well, the, the reason that their strategy is what it is, is because the amount of hype is so high. You you end up with these situations uh, when you have that large of a, uh, basically a fan base around something that is also so ravenously into whatever's going to happen next that unless you are you you basically have to go one of two ways one is to communicate an extreme amount which is more or less akin to like closer to like what we're doing with uh, talking about Crashlands 2 where it's just like oh here's like every week here's some just random stuff that's happening right um and you make it so noisy that like it doesn't matter if anybody takes a particular piece of it runs off because there's just so much stuff happening that you know whatever uh, or you have to take the op- the complete opposite approach, which is to be completely silent. 
because the mid-ground, where you actually try to meaningfully control information flow uh, while like dripping stuff out, is ripe for people to take what you say and sort of spin out the possibilities associated with that in a way that uh, can create false expectations for people yeah. later, right? And so it's a really hard thing to manage because you might want to talk about what you got going on or even to, you know, potentially even get feedback on stuff uh, from like a broader audience, but it's not doing it publicly. is not, I think if probably a good way, to if your player base already has expectations, because in this case, it's a sequel to a popular thing, right? Mm-hmm. Then more information is always worse for you as a developer mm-hmm. for the next title, because since games are an experienced good and, and when it comes to games in particular, people want it to be completely different and exactly the same at the same time, right? And yes. so nobody can be happy with the stuff that you put out about the the next thing, you know, because it's it's going to be going up against their expectations. And some people are going to love what you're doing. Some people are going to hate what you're doing. It's not going to be new enough. It's not going to be the same enough, you know, like all, all of that, right? And also, I mean, you're looking at stuff in these pieces, right? You're comparing these pieces, right? Where it's like, okay, so the, the one we've played and experienced as a whole, we're comparing that thing to then if you say like, here's the change we're making to this, which might make perfect sense for the spirit of the game in the seat of like a broader, like the rest of the experience, basically is what as Adam's saying, right? But you can't, you can't look at that individual Adam of a change in the design or uh, an update in how stuff's going to work and understand how that then plays into an experience that creates a similar experience to what you had, but one that might be better. Right. Well, so you end well, up with this like, yeah, but problem. not only that, but it's when it's a, when it's a follow-up, when it's a sequel, there's a, there's a threshold of content and there's a threshold of development time where the game is just disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's true. Because, because the anchor point is look at all the stuff that was there in the original game, all of the things you could do, all the places you could go, all the stories that you could tell. Well, in the first, I don't know, like year or two or whatever of your, of your sequels development, that stuff is missing. It's all missing. Right. And you're like working your way toward building up something new, but that is like the original, but until it is on systems parity and content parity, uh, in terms of like quality and quantity with the original, then if you show it to people, you know, you can try to hedge those, those reveals or those, the way you communicate it and talk about like, oh, well, this is just development. This is development. This is development. But like Sam said, that just then leads to like speculation about where it's going, which may not be what you intend. And then that can lead to disappointment or people will see it and then they'll be worried that it's not going to be as good as the original. And then you've got to, basically there's a lot of extra work in managing communication and expectations that yeah. takes time away from just making it the becomes dang a game. really cost uh, community management problem if you're trying to if you're trying to talk about it as good and i would actually say that we we are not extremely uh informative or informative about what we're doing with questions too because yeah. we're very, We've been very hush hush about only most talking about things. yeah like the the process yeah. and like and why we're making the decisions that we're making um and a little bit here and there about some interesting like you know design things are falling into but we're mostly talking about on the business side, why we're investing in like the tooling right now and that kind of thing. And we also consciously made the decision, like we cannot show anything for Crashlands 2 until it's in a state where we can be confident that when we show this to people, whatever it is that we show, it will convey what we're doing successfully with Crashlands 2 and how it's different and how it's the same, right? And it has to hit that whole, it has to hit that sweet spot. And it needs to be enough of, a, of an announcement with enough polish and enough just game basically that when people see it they can be focused on how excited they are for it but where they don't have enough answers to any questions that they can hold on to something and start worrying right about what this game is going to be like um because that's the thing that yeah so it's a it's a very delicate community management problem and and even even for us where you know that like hollow knight's success is whatever 100x hours with crashlands right like managing that level of hype around yes. a thing is frankly uh, untenable and it's bad for your mental health right even if everything is good mm-hmm. it's just too much um and that well, stuff goes i also say it it pulls in stakeholders which is your your community so one of the things that we have always kind of pushed against is the idea of in, having investors mm-hmm. right 
Um, we get the question from time to time of if we're taking investors and if we, or if we would ever accept investment funding. We always say no. Um, and even if it's a last resort, maybe still no. You know, mm -hmm. The reason is having additional voices coming into the development process with their own expectations about what it's supposed to look like means that you can't do stuff like what we just did where we pause development for six months to make the game changer. Mm -hmm. If we have, if we had, you know, started revealing stuff about Crash Dance 2 and we're showing like a, I don't know, like a monthly update on development, um, then that creates a pressure internally for us to keep sort of feeding the beast, right? Like keep putting out content to show the community what it is that we're working on, um, and at some point, if we wanted to pivot over to, say, like a six-month tools revamp like we did, then we would have to weigh that against, oh, no, do we disappoint all these people who we've, mm -hmm. who we've, who we've sort of like set up this expectation that we're going to be pumping this stuff out? And so uh, when it comes to trying to do something big like this, we found that the more tight-lipped and insular you can be about it, the more freedom you have to do what you think is Needs the right done. the right move because nobody else is coming in trying to push you in a direction just so that they can get like a glimpse of something or mm -hmm. a quarterly earnings report in the case of an investor, you know. Um, I think all, it's interesting because kind of is it, that doesn't mean that you have to not tell anybody or show anybody anything. Um, it just means that you're not doing it in in a, basically an announcement or sort of a routine in public sort of a sense. But if it's if it's essentially just a private thing where you say, okay. You know, we got the game to this point. Um, we just want to see how how some people who played the original would react at this point in time. But it's not like a it's not a process where it's like, oh, we're putting out applica applications for an open thing. Whatever else, you just contact people directly who you know in your community, whatever else. Uh, chat with them, show them the game, have them play it with Parsec or something. You know, and there's a lot of ways to do it where you could you can get essentially what you want, but without having to deal with accidentally injecting uh, a lot of questions into a broader community who is very excited, and, but also is always very concerned. Because I think the, the major thing mm -hmm. to me is that the concern is what kills it. Because, you know, you as a studio, oftentimes you're trying to, you're trying to do something with a sequel, right? Um, typically either pushing the design to be more of what it was originally, so like kind of condensing it, or to try to push the design to expand uh, to a different audience a little more right and so there's there are changes associated with those things and showing just an initial video or whatever else that uh has a hard time capturing both the existing audience and a new audience um is a is a really easy way to just only start hearing a lot of doubt from the people looking at the game which again isn't necessarily bad i mean you see like the sonic thing where everyone's like sonic is hideous and they're like correct actually but uh Probably could have gotten that feedback from like a person instead of having just to any up, just any person puts you into <laughs> feedback from positive and negative about what's there, right? Yeah, and and it can't have that for what's not there yet, and correct. So the feedback isn't on the actual full experience, right? This is also why people tend to release cinematic trailers first or teaser trailers that just show like a little bit of something that's very specific, so that it gives you a whole bunch of like. Gist, and you can start imagining what else that might entail. You get right? the mood, but, you know. Yeah, you get the yeah. mood, and you get all that, but it doesn't actually have the details because the details need to be uh, the the full context in which they exist is always the experience context. But certainly, it's the game actually being done context, right? And you can't convey all of that without it already being there. Yeah, and, you know, I I used to be I used to be one of those people who was like, quit showing me cinematic trailers and show me show me the gameplay, you know. Mm -hmm. But now I've actually kind of landed in the other camp, which is like, I actually think that cinematic trailers that are done well do a much better job of capturing what it feels like to play the game yeah. than a gameplay trailer does. Because I think about the fact that like Eve Online, there's a, they have a YouTube video called This Is Eve. Mm -hmm. And when you watch that, it's just like, damn, that looks so awesome, you know? Um and the fact is, like, when you play that game, uh, there actually are times where it feels like that, you know, because, like, that's what the game is 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 built around, these, like, big moments where, like, large groups of players, you know, collide. But it takes a lot of stuff to, to happen in the game to orchestrate those moments, right? Right. But the, all that stuff leading up to those moments 
is also really exciting as a player where like there's a lot of like politics and like negotiating with different other players and corporations to try to like get them to join you to go fight this other group of players, you know, and like, that's very cool and interesting. And it, and it feels like you're working your way toward this big epic thing like that you saw in the, in the, the cinematic, but really you're just kind of like typing messages to people it's mundane, day, right? You know I mean? like but it doesn't it. matter that it's mundane because it, it feels like the, the cinematic yeah. feels. Well, yeah, it's it's yeah. happening in that broader uh, context that you get to have experientially that you can't convey that way, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's kind of a, you know, we, as far as Crashlands 2 goes, like we, we haven't unveiled any visuals. We have, like we've talked about, about our goals with it and we haven't, we haven't shown anything and we're going to continue to not show anything until we feel like what we show is doing a really good job of capturing the feeling of what it's really like, you know, to play the game. Right. Yeah. Um, so and while you know, also it's, capturing the, uh, the idea that we've somehow hit that magic sweet spot of having it still be Crashlands, but also be something different. Right. Mm-hmm. And because that's part of like the, the messaging around the initial reveal in order to re-engage the existing audience, but also to excite other people has to balance all of these things at the same time. And doing that is already extremely difficult. But if you do that and then there's a mismatch between like that moment and then what people actually experience later or the, the mm-hmm. additional news that comes out as time goes on, um, yeah. then it's a big problem. Yep. So it's best to just keep making the game as good as we can and we will unveil it when it's time. So next question comes from Kevin who says, TF2, just Talifight 2, our first game. Telfight 2, Quadrupus 2, Crashlands 2. Will any of these titles reach trilogy status or do you guys follow the Valve the Valve House rule of sequels? So I want to point out here, there is no Quadrupus 2. That's true. But yep. um, they're almost ways. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Because the original Quadrupus Rampage we made for the seven day roguelike challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just continued working on it. So in a way, the original Quadrupus Rampage is a sequel to that mm-hmm. Game Jam game, but it's really, it was really just a continuation More of, a DLC. Of, of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a, a free, a free LC. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, crash, as far as we're concerned, Crashlands 2 is our first like actual sequel to a released game. Yeah. Right. So I think it depends on how that goes, frankly, because you can't hit three without hitting two effectively. Uh, I don't think we're going to make a Telefight 3 because that wouldn't make any sense from from a wide variety of angles. Um, I mean, Telefight 2 made dozens of dollars. Just dozens. <laughs> so, did, like, yeah. business-wise, I feel like it's... At least, like, a fan base, again, in the dozens. You know what I mean? Just just waiting for that. Expectation's very high. I feel um, like if we ever made Telefight 3... It would have to be our first Unreal Engine game because I think that's the only way to kind of like up the stakes and feel of that game enough that it would be it would be worth making. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it has to be. Yeah, that's one of those things that because Hellfight Two is such an old title and it's so mobile and it's so little and constrained. You like know? it needs to be. The next thing needs, needs to, to be, be epic. Yeah, I think there's actually kind of a funny comparison between like Crashlands 2 versus, or Crashlands 1 versus Crashlands 2, right? Because Crashlands 2 looks like you can tell it's Crashlands when you're looking at it. If we, we'll, we'll tell you, hey, this is Crashlands. And like knowing that, you'll be like, yeah, this is clearly Crashlands. But if you just looked at it by mm-hmm. itself, that wouldn't necessarily be the first thing that you thought, right? Because it looks that mm-hmm. different. But it looks that different still with as much kind of like, samey vibes as we could pull in so that it, it mm-hmm. that when we tell you that this is Crashlands 2, you're like, that feels true. Yep. I buy this. The right? tracks. Yeah. Yep. Towel fight two though, on the other hand, in terms of like, or three, in terms of balancing that it's the same, but different. I think it is true that we have to go all the way to like, how different can we make this? It's just different now. <laughs> it just has to basically be different. To, I mean, the, you know? yeah, the core premise of, of it is that you, you have a magical monocle that fires creatures or like, because like we fought like uh, like living chainsaws and like unicorns and really uh, it was whatever we wanted. I think Slender Man, 
Slender yeah, Man just came out. Fired a Slender Man out. Um, a Sasquatch, bees, right? So it's like you're the basically thing. the druid or like a necromancer from like a you know yeah. like an RPG game that's like summoning minions, right? But from a monocle on your face, and they're and all like projectiles. And their their projectiles or yeah whatever. Uh, so like if we you know if you just take that concept and somehow like bring it into something like Unreal Engine and make it into I don't know something something team based you know you got to have multiplayer in there at this point you know because like mean, the Binding of Isaac days are over mm-hmm. you know it's got you got to go big uh, maybe maybe a, a a battle royale you know. But Telfight 2 is, I mean, it is super fun. And it's in that, like, in that genre, it actually, like, it nails the same kind of thing that the successful, like, the really successful titles in that same genre hit, you know? Um, And then, like, with a nice, helpful, nice, healthy dosage of just sheer absurdity, right? Um, I think kind of to go back to the, this, like, the, the, the underlying part of this question, right, which is basically, like, sequels versus not sequels, right, Um, is... Is there any, like, is, basically we're trying to sell games as a company, right? We're trying to make and sell games. And we've only done things that were not sequels. I mean, meaningfully, yeah. right? Because Telfight 2 was really the first one we launched and so on. And a lot of what we're trying to do as a studio is to say, hey, we want to make just whatever sounds fun to make or whatever feels like it satisfies some particular sort of a stepping stone goal that we have as a business. You know, like, what, what are we trying to build here? And what we found is that what we wanted to build sort of a, a following around the studio around this like diverse set of weird games that we're putting out where we're kind of tying them together in the same universe. So there's some relationship, but they're just completely different styles, different genres, different everything. And we thought we could do that. Like we thought we could bring on people who were basically like B-Scotch games fans who would just play all the stuff, right? And what we really like truly found was that that's just not – that just is not how – people play games and even well you'll, you'll have those but not that many yeah not that many yeah. and, they're not there just aren't and very it, many but but i also think that that level head was kind of a culmination of like putting that to the test you know oh yeah um but level head is hard <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. such a mm-hmm. it is such a hard game and i think you know by its nature as a precision platformer, you know, it's very binary, like you either beat the level or you don't beat the level and you have to have a certain level of like reaction and skill to do it. Right. And we added some stuff in there, like you can slow down the game speed and stuff. Um, but that's, that was really the only real like levers that we had. And, and also it's just really intense. Like you, you don't, you can't just like pop into level head and just like have a chill afternoon because even when you're building a level, it's like it's very mentally That's taxing. Like you got to think a lot about how to, and, and you got to play the level to build it. So it's not like you're just like building and just like placing blocks. You're you're playing a hard platformer while you build levels. So well, this is one of our general mysteries, though, which I think is is worth fully articulating. Which is that we thought that to Adam's point that people would follow us as a studio where we went if they had played one of our games that they enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but players are by and large genre locked which is why you see a lot of games a lot of studios who are very successful but who are who appear to be putting out a lot of different games oftentimes it's sort of the same game from a genre standpoint even though the underlying mechanics might be very different uh, i think supergiant is like a really really good example of this um you know there are always these really ridiculously beautiful isometric rpg-esque things right um mm-hmm. always combat story twined yeah yep and yeah the the differences are of course super meaningful it's not remotely what i'm saying it's the same game but but it's the same. Um, you can see how a person who liked one of those would like the other ones, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. And then, Versus and then going the from parts that they're that they're suspicious about, because there's enough differences between them. Right? But the parts that they're suspicious mm-hmm. about, in terms of like, it is clearly different, though. That's the part where they're like, "Well, it's super giant, though, right?" So they're yes. going to give it a try, but mm-hmm. it requires there to be enough of a similarity that somebody can imagine having the same overall experience they had with the prior title that they loved right here. Right. And that requ- and that's that's where the trust of the studio actually comes into play and can smooth that over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but in our case, yeah, so like, our games were so different. Because like, that's, that's been the interesting thing, like looking at our Discord, which we've got uh, the level head community in our Discord. It's very active, talking to each other, sharing stuff constantly, right? And there's also, like the people who were there before the level head players came in were all of our Crashlands players, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And it is wild how, despite all these people being in the same Discord even, right? So they're seeing each other's messages, they're talking to each other just as people. But 
even being in that context saturated with these two games, right? Almost nobody in the community plays both. Crosses between them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not, not even just plays yeah. both, but has played both, right? They came in for one of those games and they see people talking about the other one. And even though they liked our game, that's why they came in. And even though they liked the studio, that's why they're there. Uh, and even though they see people talking about that other game constantly, that doesn't, that, like everything that could possibly be in place to make that, a person make the jump is there. Mm-hmm. And they still don't do it because the games are just too different, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is fair. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Like, like you, you have to wonder yeah, if you like, if you're, if your favorite, you know, I don't know, science fiction author, you know, who you've read like 20 of their sci-fi action books or something. And then they're like, Hey, I just, I just released a romance novel. Right. Um, yeah, are you going to be like, yeah, yeah. you're going to be like, <laughs> I'm really into romance novels. No, you're going to be, yeah, you're going to be like, uh, that's not I'll really my cup one. of tea. I'll skip this one. Right. Because like, you're right. People, people like what they like. And that's totally legit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, it's like it's good to break out of your genre and go go try things out. But also, like it, you know, it's it's likely that you enjoy the things that you like because at some point you did some exploration and tried different things potentially. Although on the flip side, like I do know, you know, in my in my WoW guild, there's quite a quite a few people who the first game they ever played was World of Warcraft. You That's know, wild. like 15 years ago, and it's also still the only game that they've ever played. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I mean, people uh, so there is that. I don't know. Too much, and that's what you see with the benefits of stuff like uh, Game Pass, things like that. Which is they the Game Pass released a lot of data about how the average person who picks up Game Pass, you know, they can look at their play histories and they see a massive amount of experimentation than typically from people who will download something, try it for a little bit. Um, and it typically doesn't, again, typically doesn't work out, but they do see that over the, over the course of time, those players who, you know, go from not having game pass to having it do end up broadening their tastes and then deepening within a, within a few particular categories, right? So they actually buy a game mm-hmm. from a completely different genre they had never played before, right? After having been on a game pass. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's not that it's not possible. It's just that you have to look at the reality of, I think what, again, with those, what those emotional things are that you're serving for people how the game situates itself in their lives, whatever else. And if you can, if you hit those the same way and it feels similar, then, you know, you are building essentially sequels. And that's why I think game studios like, like Blizzard, who managed to have multiple titles be basically extremely with their own, like very, very potent fan bases um, in different genres. So you got, you know, Overwatch, you got your World of Warcraft, Diablo and Starcraft, right? Um, and then even Hearthstone here, kind of spinoff variants. Um, Managing to do that and, you know, maybe recognize the extent to which you, if you're launching Overwatch or something like that, I know that was one of the most terrifying products that they they launched from, you can see the GC talks and stuff because they wanted to get into that. But it, there was that question, which is like, will anyone who has played previous Blizzard games play Overwatch? Because it is not the same as the previous ones at all. Um, and they managed to do it. But yeah, I think you have to treat those like new launches, not like you can actually pull from your fan base. Well, and it's, uh, it's also not exact, because it, this, this is a, it's a scale question, right? And because mm-hmm. what happens with something that's a sequel is that you're trying to recapture uh, the subset of your audience for the prequel who yep. love that so much that they're paying attention to you. They'll see your game, they'll recognize it, and they'll want to experience the new one, right? And so the question is basically, how big is that group versus if you're launching a new title, you're now going to be capturing the subset of people who are into your studio first or who are into your game and they recognize the logo and they're like, oh, look, what's this? And they check it out. And then if it's a different genre, now it's the subset who are interested in that genre. So it's like this this group that you are sort of recapturing, it's smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. But you're also trying to capture a new group Just with new that groups, yeah. title, right? And so if it's a new group with a existing IP, then you just have to kind of be able to excite those people independently because you don't get to lean on the experience of the prior title, right? But that's where all of your stuff about like the improved graphics, the improved, like all the cool new stuff that you did that's trying to make the game appeal to a wider audience comes in. And so if you're Blizzard, then you can sell appeal without it because you have infinite money. You've got amazing animators. You got you got such a good team. You can build a product that everybody who looks at it's like, oh, I want this. And everybody, at least in the past, trusted the Blizzard name when it came to launching games, right? Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> for them, <laughs> they get to lean on the fact that, sure, I would bet anything that today, almost everybody who started World of Warcraft, who then tried Overwatch, is not still playing Overwatch. I would bet you'd like, almost all of them are not, right? But a whole bunch of people, which was still going to be, I guarantee you, a very small fraction of the overall like World of Warcraft player base. Yeah, right. 
a small fraction of people who is then a huge number of people still, you know, because mm-hmm. they were like, Oh cool. I'll try this new, this new blizzard title. Right. And they all got to play it together. They already have their battle.net communities. Like, so mm-hmm. they're all ready to go to, to, to kick this thing off. And then because it was a good title, they could create an enormous initial boost in like yeah. the news about it, allowing blizzard to then capture this new audience who are people who are into that kind of game boosting it using their existing audience, despite that being a tiny subset. Right. But, but that's a blizzard but they're scale, also, right? Yeah. But they're also in a trap right now because of this problem, because yeah. um, one of the things that they've been doing lately is they've been re-releasing older versions of World of Warcraft. So they released WoW Classic uh, maybe three years ago or something like that, which is it's basically like a replica of the original game. And... One thing that definitely happened when they did that is the servers on the modern version of the game emptied out for about two months Um, because so many people went to go play WoW Classic and they just moved from WoW over to WoW Classic. Yeah. And if you actually only target your existing audience and that existing audience is still buying stuff from you, then all you've done is move them from one product to another one. Yeah. Yeah, and you might think like, oh, well, that's that's a wash, right? Because like, yeah, it's the here. same subs- it's the same subscription fee. Except actually, what happens then is guilds die, uh, friendships kind of deteriorate because some people want to keep playing the the live game, and some people want to go play the classic one, and suddenly recruitment becomes difficult. You've lost half of your raid roster. Your weekends of running dungeons with your buddies are no longer a thing you can do. And so, so a lot of people just let their subscription lapse because mm-hmm. there was nothing. It's a social game, right? Yeah. And they and the really didn't with sell Overwatch, that right? to new players who don't play World of Warcraft, right? Because nobody was coming no. in and being like, oh, I've never played World of Warcraft, but they just launched a 20-year-old they're actually, version. <laughs> there actually were a, a significant number of people who basically like I mean, remembered the the hype back then or well, sure. it. And they I think were, that was point though. It's a scale. It's a it's tiny like it might number. Be a, yeah. Yeah, it might be an absolute like, number of people. But yeah. like, yeah, relative scale. Yeah, and so so the problem you have with with Blizzard is like you know they're they're you know MMOs were one of the OG like a games as a service thing, right? Like yeah. you're subscribing to this game and you're paying it over time. Um, and one of the big problems that you have if you're trying to take this this approach of we have fans of our studio, right? And like we want them to buy and play all of our games, right? Well, if each of those games is intended to be a, a hobby where people, you know, have a social network in there and they spend all their time in there and all like their their free time, then all you're doing is deteriorating the experience in all of your other games whenever you launch a new one, right? Um, and so yeah, it works better for games that aren't network effect, a sort of built like built on the network effect, right? Where you don't have to have everybody playing the same game at the same time in order for everybody to have a good time. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, that, it's that you need to be able to capture a new audience with a new launch. And if you, yeah, and so so in that scenario, that's why to me it does make sense to you know launch something totally different, right? That probably won't detract from mm-hmm. the existing thing, but that does mean that you you like Adam was it's saying, it's just a new launch. It's yeah, you can't necessarily count on that many people. Mig- actually, kind of hope they don't migrate away from your current game. You just want to yeah. capture a new audience, which is also why you see them doing stuff like they you know they released Hearthstone. It's like oh yeah mobile card game and now they're like Diablo Immortal it's a game where you take out a second mortgage and go bankrupt right mm-hmm. like that's yeah. a whole new audience Super like they want so their new audience is like Saudi Arabian princes now mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, and so they're trying to they're trying to yeah they're trying to move into new markets so that they don't pull players away from their existing existing thing you know mm-hmm. um, so that's we, we are in a better position I think with something like Crash Ends 2 because Crashlands was a game that was meant to be, you know, played, explored, beaten, and then you you can you can be done now. You can rest. Yeah. You know? There's no subscription. Um, it's not. Uh, we don't. Have, we're not updating it constantly. All of that stuff, right? So yeah, you don't play it forever. It's pretty so well we saturated. Release, the markets that we have easy access to. Yeah. So when we release the next game, we don't lose anything, and in fact, we we can gain because some people will start playing Crashlands too. And they'll be like, this is dope. I wonder what the original was like because they never played it. And then they'll go buy the original because they're just two separate experiences. Um, and n- neither of which demands you like make it consume your entire life. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting, you know, challenge to manage the portfolio oh, yeah. and the marketing and stuff. Uh, all right. Now there's one last quick question. Hit. We're out of time. And I don't know if I even have an answer, but it's from I.C. Bush, who says, what is your favorite programming term that is quite offside? Mine is execute the children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually heard that term. I've, I've always heard of it as like killing the children or destroying the children. Um, yeah, the command so the, name is often kill, but because execute is to is to it's sort of the opposite of what you expect because executing a program is making it go, right? So when you're executing yeah, exactly. a child, right, then you're actually creating it, but you do kill the children also uh, when you want to remove yeah. them. Yeah, the way things – like in, in some programming frameworks, there's this concept of like parents and children, which is really more like the children are the same kind of thing as the parent and they will sort of inherit properties from the parent or the children will be sort of like um, – nested inside of the the parent in some way. So or if you have like a, by it and connected to it. So that if the parent yeah. dies, the children also die or whatever. Right. Um so yeah, yeah killing funny. killing children is definitely something that happens a lot. <laughs> it's in, it's uh, uh it creates for some risky Google searches, you know, when you're trying to figure out how to do it. <laughs> and cause like cause the terms that are you're used on a are, list. If you're a programmer, yeah, you're on some lists for yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't have any on the art side that I can think of, but that's very funny. Kill the children. I mean, that's easily just the best one. That's, that's it's easily the best one. Yeah. There's some other well, yeah. there's like fun ones that are like weird and kind of annoying because like, so I think the, to go the, a, a different route, which is just like a weird one, uh, which is memo-wise. Um, yeah. Memo-wise. <laughs> it's like you Mem- speak like with R's and you can't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like memorize, and it's actually very related to the idea of memorizing because it's basically, it's it's in essence making it sort of thing that normally, like a because fu- a, fu- a functional programmer normally takes an input, gives you an output, and it's supposed to just take the same input, give you the same output, you know, right, every time. But the idea is that sometimes that computation is really expensive, and so instead of doing the computation again, maybe you just store the last result if it's going to be the same anyway, you know. Mm. So you store it and just return that instead. So it's like it's memorizing so it, it, what yeah. came in. It, it, but, but we memos it, what you gave it. it but yeah, but we call it memoizing. Yeah, it's weird. That's, so that's that actually, that is the speech impediment that I had as a kid. So that's, uh, that's a fun one. The R's and L's. That's problem. a good one. Memoize. Yep. I've memoized it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm confident that there's a lot, you know, as a self, self-taught self programmer, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that I know a lot of things that actually have names and I didn't know that they had names. Yeah. Because because at one point, I think it was just like six months ago, Adam was like, oh yeah, so what you could do here is you could memoize this. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and he's like, you know, like you set it up so that you basically cache the result of the input output. So that way yeah, you, you could also call it, cache, it, you know, or. Yeah. I like that's just what I've always called it, you know, or yeah, just but like it's, storing it, just store it. And then yeah, it's like you know. with all jargon, you know, there's, it, it, there's a very specific meaning of like what memoize is supposed to be, but also like with any jargon, um, because it's important to remember terms are just made up by people. Right. Yep. And we just yep. on average agree to imbue them with the same meaning, but nobody, no two people specifically actually do imbue them with the exact same meaning. Right. Yeah. And so when it comes to some of these terms, like their goal is to be more precise, but they're still always kind of loose. And so yeah. at some point when you start talking about these things, you're just like, is this caching? Is this memoizing? It's like, whatever, it's all the same idea, right? Um, but there will be people who will fight you to the death about whether or not something can be called memoizing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I will so say, I often like avoid that. those terms for just exactly that reason. Hmm. Mm-hmm. After the last uh, podcast episode where we discussed hotkeys and like your, your pro hotkeys, uh, a bunch of people talked about them in the Discord podcast channel. I learned a few that I love, by the way, one of which is holding spacebar down on mobile spawns a cursor and then you move your thumb left and right to yeah, move the one. cursor. Yeah. So good. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know this thing. What? But so if you if you're hearing this and you have an idea yeah. because you program and you have some of these other just hilarious, ridiculous kind of inbuilt jargony terms basically uh, that are a little off-putting, uh, feel free to dunk them in there. Um, yeah. Now, now, and I'll just I'll leave it with one programming sort of term or thing that just I just it it just, I hate it so much. Hmm. I hate it to the core of my being. 
and that is foo and bar. Oh, I yeah. knew it. I also hate this. Do not do not throw those at me. I will throw them right back in your face. This is mm-hmm. this is something that whenever people are writing a to a tutorial to teach you about a programming concept, the way that they try to convey you could use this in any scenario is that they to use take away the words, all meaning. Yeah. It's to take away all meaning by instead of saying like, let's say you've got like a bucket and apples. So I have a variable called bucket and a variable called apples. And we would like store apples in the bucket, Ugh, right? Like instead of that, they'd be like, let's say you have a variable called foo and another variable called bar. And you want to store your foo in the bar. It's like, mm-hmm. those aren't things. Those now I, now I have. Yeah. Cause like, cause like classic inheritance examples you'll see between like, is this idea of like parents, children again, right? Is it like, okay, you got an animal. So that's like the parent and you got like a dog, which is a kind of an animal. And like, they'll describe it in that mm-hmm. way. Right. Yeah. But then some things, instead of doing those examples, well, cause again, the argument that they always make, cause I've heard them make it when I argue with them is, is we don't want to make people think that this like has that specific of a meaning. Cause it's not right. So they're trying to like take that away. And I'm like, this doesn't, Here's the meaning. <laughs> yeah, but with foo and bar, so look, so look, like now you can like you can make bar be a just a more specific version of foo, you know, and they'll they'll try to explain it that way instead. And then and now and now every better. time you look at it, you're you have to mentally remap what it is that you're looking at because those don't they mean don't anything. Mean Terrible. And Stop you, doing that. Stop. Stop it. doing yeah. it. Yeah. If you are a programmer who's ever written a tutorial or just ever written foo and bar anywhere ever, take take a day. Uh, well, first thing, go to the mirror, give yourself a good slap. Give yourself a good slap <laughs> right in the face. I was gonna say, yeah, just then, flogging. You know. Well, this Jeez. isn't then, necessarily. You know, your go for a walk. Down. Clear your clear your mind. Yeah. Then go back to all those things you wrote and edit them. <laughs> To make them actually have words that mean things. <laughs> but this isn't necessarily your fault, so you don't need to go too hard yourself. Because this is how computer science is historically taught when they're trying to make it as hard for you to understand. So that taught is kind of a, 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 right. a loose when they when they present to you concept, yeah when it's being presented to you as, <laughs> as purely philosophical versus practical, right? And so this is a curse that from the early days of computer science that. That in the early days when there was when when computer science like when doing computer stuff and doing math stuff was like the same thing the same. because it was all very abstract, right? And you were working at a very abstract level, and so we've inherited all of that, and it just hasn't changed to be more. And and this is true for like any discipline actually is is the reason that like medical terms you know like they're all in like Latin and shit, but they so but they just mean specific things that they could say instead. And the question is, why don't they? Yeah. Well, when they go, you have appendicitis, it means your appendix is swollen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your appendix it. is swollen. That's yeah. the one thing say, that it means. If they say, <laughs> oh, the cause of this is idiopathic. So you've got like idiopathic the headaches or something, right? That literally means we don't know the cause. That's what We don't that know what that is. Mm-hmm. So, but they use the like, use say word. that. Yeah. Say mm-hmm. that. So, <laughs> so this is a legacy problem in every single discipline. And the thing... To remember that it's not your fault you ended up there, especially if you were conventionally trained in it. But, but don't pass the sins your of your parents you on to your children. <laughs> Break the cycle, you know? Uh, anyways, so don't do not do that, please. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good spot to leave. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and the links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.